Hey, Chapel Street Church. I'm excited to talk to you about something called Rooted. Some of you already know about Rooted. It's been part of our church for a number of years now. Uh, several years ago, we were thinking and praying about, if you ask the average person who's part of Chapel Street what's next in their spiritual journey, we had a thousand different answers. And we felt like we needed one clear next step. And that's what Rooted has become. It's a 10-week journey through the gospel and scripture built around experiences. That's what makes it unique. It's not just study and filling in the blank answers. It's built around experiences through 10 weeks in community. There's a serve experience, there's a prayer experience, and these things combined in community help change people's lives. I've talked to many of you who have been deeply impacted by Rooted. Uh, some of you who are mature believers might be thinking, well, this is I've already passed this. Not so. It's for you. If you're a brand new believer, it's for you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're looking for the next step in your life with Christ in our community of faith, Rooted is exactly for you. We encourage you to take part in it. There's a new round of Rooted groups launching very soon. So I want to encourage you, if you call Chapel Street your home and you're feeling like God is moving you to take a next step in your faith in the new year, get involved in a Rooted group. Don't take my word for it. We want you to hear from those who've been part of it. I came into Rooted having just graduated from Wheaton College a few months before. And while I was at Wheaton, I was surrounded by great community. I was in a great place spiritually and relationally and was honestly thriving. And then I graduated and in a lot of ways, it felt like that community got taken away. So then I joined a sub 30 Rooted group, which was <laughs> one of the best choices I think I've ever made. Just getting to know a group of people who were the same age and stage as me and just being able to open the Bible together and talk about these foundations of our faith together was such a cool experience. There's the prayer service, there's serving, there's strongholds, there's um, where a week where you talk about giving and that's very important. You you bring God into every facet of your life. I think the biggest takeaway for me was I thought I was okay, just me. And I'd go to church on every Sunday and I pray and I do my devotions and and I felt like I was I was still okay. I was walking. But now knowing that there are other people that I'm that are holding me accountable, that I'm holding them accountable, that I can go to them and ask for prayer, that has has really increased I guess my desire to be more like Jesus. If you are even thinking about Rooted, I would encourage you to go for it. I know that there might be some unknowns about the people in your group or about the things you're gonna be studying. You don't need to come into it knowing all the answers. In fact, I think a lot of the conversations that you have will be more fruitful if you're able to be in that space of not knowing all the answers, because that's when you're able to have really rich conversations with other people as you wrestle through things. That's part of the beauty of this community that you're building. So if you're on the fence, go for it. It'll change your life in the best way. <laughs>Just want to echo for a moment what Pastor Jeff uh, said in the video about Rooted, that Rooted is a way to not only um, grow and be pushed to grow a little bit in your faith journey, but also to connect at a deeper level with people in your church family, maybe from this campus or another campus. Uh, that's what happens in those 10 weeks. You get to know people at a deeper level, and that can be a real blessing too. So if you're interested in Rooted, just find out from our website when the next one is launching and how to get registered, or you can call the church office and we can help you that way as well. Well, when I was in the second grade, 
at Lawndale Elementary School in Akron, Ohio. And th- there it is, or what it used to be. It was torn down a couple of years ago. But old three-story brick building, you know, had the, the classrooms with the wooden desks bolted to, in a row in the floor. Some of you might have gone to schools like that. Um, but when I was in second grade, I heard a new word on the playground. Uh, we were at recess. Remember recess? I was tempted to tell the students up here, these young children up here, as they head back to school, you know, enjoy recess, because they take it away from you at a certain point. We were on recess, playing on the monkey bars or swings or whatever, and a boy from a different class who I didn't know used a word. It was a word I'd never heard before. I didn't know what it meant, but I discerned quickly that it was a word that contained great power. It was an important word. Uh, Because as soon as he said the word, the other kids all paid attention, and some started to laugh, and the boy seemed to gain status in their eyes simply by using a word. So when I got home after school, and I used to walk home a couple blocks, even in second grade, to where we lived in a row house in in the blocks in that part of Akron, um, I was anxious to try my new word out. So I went straight up to my room on the second floor of our little house and opened the window, and I shouted that word out to our neighborhood as loud as I could. And you're probably ahead of me, you probably guessed, it was a word that rhymes with spit. My mom was downstairs and she heard my new word and she very quickly and very firmly, as I recall, uh, taught me that my new word did in fact have power, it just did not have the kind of power I thought it had. So we're in a series now, summer-long series. It's the ninth week of our series from the book of Proverbs called uh, Pursuit of Wisdom. And we've looked at wisdom as it applies to all kinds of areas of our lives. Wisdom in family, wisdom in work, wisdom in temptation, wisdom in friendship. Last week, wisdom in self-control. Some of us will never forget the moment with the donut last, last week. And today it's wisdom and words. Did you know that there are actually more single verses in Proverbs about words, about our speech, than any other single topic except for wisdom itself. Now, we're going to look at a number of these verses today, but I want to begin with just one. Proverbs 18, 21 reads, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death. So the first thing I want to say this morning is that words are powerful. Words have great power. Uh, I want to give a little quiz. It's been a while since we've had a quiz. And this I call the famous words from American history quiz. So I'm going to give you a quote, just a single line from somewhere in American history, famous words, and you need to just tell me who said those words, okay? So just holler it out when you know who said these words. Ready? Number one. I have a dream today. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Bonus question, in what year did he say those words? Uh, 1963, right? In August of 1963, 60 years ago this month in Washington, D.C. Second, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. (laughs) President Ronald Reagan, June 1987. Next one, if I can find it here. Four score and... Seven years ago, opening line of the Gettysburg Address, Abraham Lincoln, in November of 1863. Okay, one more. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Who? FDR. Now, what year? This got me. I was confused about this. What year did he say that? 
I thought it was 41 too at the beginning of the, the war, but it wasn't. It was first inaugural address, 1933. Last one. Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Actor Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump. That movie was made in 1994, almost 30 years ago. Yikes. We remember words because words have power. Words can motivate. Words can encourage. Words can inspire a whole nation. Words can move us. But we also all know, all too well, that words can also divide. That words can incite. And words can destroy. Even simple words today like left and right can be politically charged and emotionally charged. Words like snowflake or privilege are the same way. Proverbs 18.21, again, I'll put it up here in three different translations. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The New Living Translation says the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And finally, the message, which is a paraphrase, and I like this, words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit you choose. So Proverbs is telling us that words have the power of life and death. How so? How so? We all can remember the childhood playground rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? Someone calls you dummy or blockhead on the playground. Remember Lucy? That was her favorite insult for Charlie Brown. I don't think I ever heard anybody call somebody a blockhead except for Lucy. But let's say somebody calls you a blockhead. Then you just sing back to them, sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. And we say it as children, but it doesn't take long for us to figure out it's not really true. That words can and do hurt. The saying really should be, sticks and stones can break my bones, which will heal over time, but wounds from words might never heal. And that's because words have power. We see this from the very beginning of the Bible. Opening verses of the Bible tells us that God creates, created everything that is by speaking. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. When Jesus came into the world as the very incarnation of the God of the universe, God, the Gospel of John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Pastor and theologian John Piper writes, Words carry immeasurable significance. The universe was created with the word. Jesus healed and cast out demons with the word. Rulers have risen and fallen by their words. Christians have worshipped through words of song, confession, and preaching. Even in our technological age, politics, education, business, and relationships center on words. That's why we read in the book of James, which we're going to study together this fall, these words. When we put bits into the mouths of horses... To make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a forest is set on fire by a small spark. 
The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Very, very strong words. Words are powerful because they bring life and they can bring death. Talk more about that in just a moment. Words are also powerful because they last. They last. A pastor named Alistair Begg tells the story of a woman who went to her pastor in Scotland or somewhere and confessed that she had been guilty of spreading a false rumor about someone in that church family. So the pastor told her to do something unusual. He said, now I want you to go and buy uh, a whole bunch of chicken feathers and I want you to go place them at the door of each person you've spread a rumor about or gossiped about. And then uh, she did that. She goes back to the pastor and he says, now I want you to go back and I want you to collect all those chicken feathers from all those places you put the feathers and put them in a bag and bring them back to me. And the woman said, but, but the wind's been blowing since then. Surely the feathers are blown all over the place by then. I can never get them back. And the pastor said, you're right. They have been blowing around. And your words are like that. You can be forgiven, but you can't get them back. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard it said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, one of the Ten Commandments, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, now that's an Aramaic word that was highly offensive in that time, a great insult, something like, You idiot. Anyone who says... To a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is saying words matter because words are powerful. They can bring life and they can bring death. And once a word is spoken, you can't get it back. Proverbs teaches us then about two categories of words, unwise and wise. So the second point this morning is unwise words are destructive. Unwise words are destructive. My brother, Joe, is a pastor in Ohio, and I've, I tell lots of stories about him, or about the two of us, and so I thought I'd put a picture up finally so you can see what he looks like, whether he looks like me or not. I really can't tell. You can't tell from this picture, but my brother has had 75 stitches from the neck up, never more than five at a time. So if you could zoom in, he's got little scars in his forehead, under his eyes, and his chin, under, uh, on his head. He's got them in all kinds of ways, from sports mostly, just other weird accidents he's had. I tell him it's because he's lived his whole life face first. <laughs> he's kind of fearless, kind of aggressive. Um, he says if you shaved his head, he'd look like a baseball with all the stitch marks on his head. But none of those injuries, none of those scars were as significant to him as a coach when he was in 10th grade in Florida, 15 years old, said to him, you're a loser and will be forever and ever. We talked about that just this week. And he said, he went on to become a state champion basketball player, a pastor of a large and thriving church, but he said after 50 years, he can still remember the sting of those words at age 15. Here's the thing. People don't go into counseling or therapy because they fell running after a church service and bumped their head on the altar and got stitches in their forehead, which my brother actually did when he was little. They don't go to therapy because they broke their nose three times playing basketball, which he also did. They get counseling because of, because of words that were once spoken at them or to them. 
Proverbs 8, 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Unwise words are reckless words, and reckless words are often words spoken in anger or frustration. Years ago, um, I was at a 12-year-old baseball tournament with one of my boys, um, and in between his games, he and I went to watch two other teams play because one of the teams was rumored to be very good, and we just wanted to see them play. And sure enough, at one point in the game, two of their players back-to-back hit home runs. And everybody was cheering, especially the dads, because there's nothing like watching your son hit a home run, right? And then the next guy up, after the two kids hit home runs uh, on the same team, he takes a mighty swing, but he just managed to hit a little weak pop-up that got caught by the second baseman. He was out. And at that moment, a man stood up in the crowd right near us, turned out to be the boy's father, and he yelled in a voice loud enough for everyone to hear, You swing like a... And then he used a word that was profane and humiliating and I could never repeat in public. And everyone grew quiet. And I looked right back at the boy who was walking toward the dugout. And you could visibly see his shoulders slump. He never looked back, but he heard. He was under the weight of his father's words. And I'll guarantee you, if I could find that boy today who is now in his early 30s, he would remember exactly the day and the time of the sting of those words. His greatest pain was not making an out in that game. His greatest pain was the weight of his father's words. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. One of the ways we sin in our anger is through reckless words. Reckless words are also words spoken about others. Proverbs calls this gossip. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Proverbs 16.28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Now, what is gossip? Well, the dictionary definition is a person who habitually reveals personal or sensational facts about others. Someone has written that the sin of gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Or like I said last week, I like the definition, the art of confessing someone else's sins, real or imagined. Uh, Most of you know my dad was a pastor for some 60 years, and once when I was home from college, I had to go see him at his church office for some reason. I don't now remember what. But as I walked into the small church building, I had to walk down a hallway, and I passed a door that was uh, mostly shut, but it had a sign taped on it, prayer group. But as I walked by, I heard voices, and I realized the people weren't praying. They were talking, and they were talking in very unkind terms about someone in the church, someone that I happened to know. And I paused, and I slowed down just to listen a little bit. And I, 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 I looked back, and I wished I had the courage to walk in and confront them. I didn't. I also had the idea I should cross out prayer group and write gossip group so they saw it when they walked out. I didn't do either one of those things. Gossip is reckless speech. Unwide words are also untrue words. Proverbs 26 says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. The 17th century Irish writer Jonathan Swift, author of Gulliver's Travels, once said, A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. It's somewhat ironic that this quote is often uh, attributed to Mark Twain. 
which is actually not true. That's kind of funny. We live in a world where rumor and false accusations travel at the speed of light through the power of social media today. Jonathan Swift have no, had no idea about Facebook when he wrote those words. But we live in a culture fascinated by scandal, fascinated by what's happening to others that we can pass along, choice morsels that we can, we can find satisfaction in. With the click of a button or the push of a button on a, on a computer, false information or salacious innuendo can be shared with thousands and even millions of people. And some of that information is not only unkind, but it's false and can destroy reputations and even lives. Finally, unwise words, Proverbs says, are unkind words. Just unkind words. Proverbs 15 says, The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The Hebrew word translated perverse there means crooked, vicious, or cruel. Unkind words are critical words. Unkind words can be sarcastic words. Do you know sarcasm existed 3,000 years ago in a different culture, time, and place? I smile when I read this, but Proverbs 26, 18 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. We all know what that is. It's someone who says something mean-spirited or hurtful, but cloaks it in, I was just kidding. Sarcasm. Now notice, unwise words have the power not only to wound, but Proverbs says to destroy, to bring a kind of death. So what does this mean for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who claim Jesus as Lord? Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What he's saying is that our words, our words matter because they have power. Our words, whether spoken or written or texted or tweeted or posted or shared, our words have the power to draw people closer to the love and grace of Christ or to push them further away from the love and grace of Christ. Someone has said, our words are rarely neutral. Well, that leads us to the third point, which is wise words. Wise words are life-giving. Wise words are life-giving. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Wise words are gracious words. Just this past week, I got um, a private Facebook message, if you know how that works. It's not public, but it, I got a little notification, and I opened it up. It was from um, a guy I knew when, in high, when he was in high school, in high school ministries here, uh, when I was youth pastor, about 1990 or so. Uh, he's now right about 50 years old. But he was in high school when I knew him, and he wrote me a private message, and I'll read it to you in part. He said, hey, Brian, I was just sitting here thinking about life. Best week of my life was the week on the bike trip with you and First Baptist. We used to do bike trip uh, to Colorado every summer. My whole life changed that week. Not sure I've ever thanked you for the impact you had on my life. Thank you for what you've done, the impact you've made. I don't think we thank people enough for what they do, and I just wanted you to know. Awesome job, my friend, to the end, he said. Simple words, words he didn't have to say, 
Words I didn't know that I needed to hear, but words that were so gracious and kind that touched me. And so I wrote him back and he said, I, can't, I don't have the words to tell you what, that, what the surprise of your little message meant to me. Just simple words. Just a word of thank you. Gracious words. Wise words are also encouraging words. Proverbs 15 says, Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. The right thing at the right time. When our son uh, Micah was playing baseball at the University of Minnesota, his senior year they had a very, very good team. Ended up winning the Big Ten Conference and being one of the top ten teams in the nation. But that year they had a highly touted freshman pitcher. Highly recruited guy, came to the University of Minnesota, uh, was very talented in the preseason workouts. He was very impressive. So the whole team was anxious to see him pitch in a real game. So one of the early games in that season, um, the coach put this kid in as the starting pitcher. First game of his career uh, at the college level. And everyone couldn't wait to see what he could do because they knew how gifted he was. And this is how the first inning went. I went back and looked at the record to make sure I had it right. He pitched to six batters in the first inning. He hit the first guy with a pitch. He hit the second guy with a pitch. He walked the third guy. He hit the fourth guy with a pitch, which forced in one run. Then he threw a wild pitch, which led in a second run. Then a kid hit a double. Two more runs came in. And then he hit the sixth guy again with a pitch. So six batters, hit four of them with pitches, walked one, let up one double, four runs, and there were no outs yet. Basically, it was, it, it was actually one of the worst pitching performances I'd ever seen in my whole life in baseball. Just horrible. And I was just watching on a computer. It just kept getting worse. So the coach walked out to the mound to, to uh, remove him from the game and put in another pitcher after six batters, which is very unusual. So after the game, uh, I talked to my son on the phone. I said, hey, just tell me something. What did the coach say when he got out to the mound? I mean, what do you say? And he said, Dad, here's what coach said. And the coach had been there like 40 years, was legendary for his wisdom and patience. He said he put his arm around the kid. All the players were around him. The coach put his arm around the kid and said, son, none of this changes what we think about you one bit. He did replace him with a different pitcher, but that's what he told him. And later the kid pitched better the next time he came out. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Wise words are encouraging words. So what are our takeaways about wisdom and words. Let me, just, let me just say three things to kind of simplify it down. First, Proverbs is teaching us to speak with restraint. To speak with restraint. Proverbs 17 says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. And Proverbs 10, 19 in the New Living Translation it says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I like that. Proverbs is simply saying that most often, fewer words are better than many words. That's his way of saying that listening is better than speaking oftentimes. Secondly, we are to speak with wisdom. That kind of goes without saying in Proverbs, but speak with wisdom. Proverbs 18, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. Now, to speak with wisdom means simply to think before we talk. To ask ourselves, are the words I'm going to say kind? Are they encouraging? Are they true? Or are they reckless 
and hurtful. And thirdly, we are to speak with grace. Speak with grace. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. He's saying our words can be carriers of grace, or they can be carriers of corruption. Our words can be that which build up, or words that tear down. And just like self-control last week, our words don't begin in our mouths, they begin in our hearts. Proverbs 16, 23 says, The hearts of the wise make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Jesus actually echoed this in his own teaching in Luke chapter 6 when he said, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So, why do we speak sometimes reckless words? Why do we sometimes gossip or pass on information about someone else that we really shouldn't? Why do we sometimes speak hurtful, critical, or sarcastic words? Jesus says because that's what's sometimes in our hearts. Our words come from our hearts. One pastor says all of our heart problems eventually become word problems. So, what if you have spoken, what if I have spoken words that are unwise, words that have been spoken in anger or frustrations, words that have left a mark, maybe a scar or a wound in someone that we love? Jesus actually said in Matthew 12, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they have spoken. So what do we do? We repent. We repent, we confess, we seek the grace of God's forgiveness. We pray like King David did in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, create in me a pure heart, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the first step. But the second thing is we go and do what we can to replace unwise words with wise words to re replace destructive words with life-giving words. That means to make the phone call or to write the note, which I've done a number of times, or speak the words. Speak the words that you could wish you could go back and speak at that time and do it all over again. But do it. Last night, I, spoke, I, I gave this message at uh, our Mill Creek campus on Saturday night, and a woman came up to me afterward and said, I spoke those words just last night to my daughter, and I need to go back today. I said, yes, you do, and you can. And you can model what it means to speak words that are gracious. Or what if you carry around wounds today inside yourself, wounds that came from words that were spoken to you or at you long ago by someone you respected or someone you loved, and those words hurt. Well, we can lay those words before the Lord. Just lay them before Him. Confession is not just about sin. It's about pain, too. Just lay them before the Lord and then listen to what He speaks over you through the prophet Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In His love, He will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you 
with singing. If you ever wonder what God, what the creator of all things thinks of you, what he feels toward you, it's right there. He rejoices over you with singing. A writer named Marianne Bird tells this story from her childhood. I've used this story before. Maybe you remember it. She writes, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. But my second grade teacher was a lady named Mrs. Leonard. We all loved her. She was short, round, and happy, a sparkling lady. Every year she gave us a hearing test that was required by the school. We would stand at the door, cover one ear, and Mrs. Leonard would whisper something from her desk. And we would have to repeat it back to indicate we could hear. Usually she would say things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? But when it was my turn that day, I waited for the words she would say to me, words that God must have put into her mouth because there were seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl, she said. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Will you bow with me? Lord God, thank you for your word today, and thank you for the wisdom we can receive through your word. We all use our words every day, some with great thought, some with little thought, some wise, some not so wise, maybe some in between. Teach us that our words matter. Teach us that our words can draw others toward your love or push them away. So turn our hearts toward you so that our words may better reflect your great love for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before our benediction this morning, if there's anything from this morning's sermon that perhaps sparks something in your mind, or if there's something going on that you'd like prayer, there will be folks up front who will pray with you, and I encourage you to do so. Now let's hear our benediction, which is go now in the name of Jesus, who is the eternal word of God, and may he work in us and through us what is pleasing to him.